Chances are you know someone or have a family member that was diagnosed with aortic stenosis. Just a decade ago, the only treatment for severe aortic stenosis in patients was open-heart surgery. Today, there is a less invasive procedure called transcatheter aortic valve replacement, or TAVR for short. We're going to learn about it today with Dr. Farhan Ali, Medical Director of Interventional Cardiology at Baylor Scott and White Heart and Vascular Hospital in Fort Worth, on the campus of Baylor Scott and White All Saints Medical Center, Fort Worth. This is Heart Speak with Baylor Scott and White Heart and Vascular Hospital in Dallas and in Fort Worth. I'm Prakash Chandran. So, first of all, Dr. Ali, it's good to have you here today. What exactly is aortic stenosis? Aortic stenosis is a very, very common disorder of the main valve of the heart. The aortic valve, if you think about the heart in general, the heart is a pump. It pumps blood in one direction and it uh, supplies the uh, oxygen and nutrients to all the organs, the brain, the heart itself, the liver, spleen, kidneys, etc., and all your muscles. So the valves uh, allow the pumping of the blood to flow in one direction. And so we can have problems with these valves that then impede the function of the heart. So, for example, if the aortic valve has leaking, then you're going to get an inefficient function of the pump, the heart. The valve can also get blockage or stenosis, and that's what we're talking about today. And that can really prevent the blood from uh, reaching the target organs like the brain, the um, other organs, and cause a lot of symptoms and problems that patients then experience. So who exactly develops aortic stenosis and what symptoms might they experience? So the predominant type of blockage is, uh, is, takes years to develop. It doesn't happen overnight. So most of these patients that have aortic stenosis are over 65 years old. And it's estimated that 12% of the population over 65 has aortic stenosis. That being said, the baby boomers are turning 65 at a, at a rate of almost 8,000 per day for the next 15 years or so. So there's a, a large population that is at risk of having this disease. The symptoms that you get with aortic stenosis, what, what people can expect to have is severe shortness of breath with minimal exertion. You know, walking 50 yards just puts you out of breath. You feel like you've run a marathon. Um, getting chest pressure, tightness, pain, uh, discomfort uh, with doing minimal activity or even at rest. And then in some patients, even passing out, just uh, they just pass out for no reason. They black out or they pass out, they fall. And that can also be a, a symptom of aortic stenosis. You can have symptoms of heart failure, leg swelling, difficulty breathing while lying down. And so this can, you can imagine, can really inhibit somebody's daily activities or their basic life functions can be really uh, hindered with this. So tell us a little bit about how aortic stenosis was treated in the past. The aortic stenosis, as you mentioned, you know, for the last half century, prior to a decade ago, the treatment for aortic stenosis has predominantly been open heart surgery with valve replacement, either with a mechanical metal valve or with a tissue valve derived from either pig or, uh, or cow uh, tissue. And the surgery was really um, a pretty big ordeal. It's a four or five hour surgery. Uh, it involves opening up the chest. It involves, uh, you know, having a breathing tube placed and uh, recovery of four to five days in the hospital, plus an additional one month recovery where you're going to physical rehab uh, afterwards and kind of getting your strength back. And so it takes a lot of time out of the patient's life. It uh, 
affects the um, the productivity of that patient if they're working or if they have a job, and um, and so it's 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 a it's sort of a big ordeal. But that being said, surgery has been the gold standard for half a century. The risk of major complications, including death, stroke, and bleeding for open heart surgery has been relatively low, and so it's been a good procedure uh, while we've had it, and it's still available, and it's still very, very useful, and is, is not going away just because we now have TAVR, which is a new option. So let's get into that relatively new option right now, TAVR. Tell us a little bit more about what it is and how it's different from the traditional method. Transcatheter aortic valve replacement, or TAVR for short, is a catheter-based procedure. It's done in the same way that we do coronary stenting or stent procedures. So I'm an interventional cardiologist. Uh, What I do is when people are having heart attacks where they have a blockage in their arteries or they have a blockage that's causing them symptoms of chest pain, we typically go in through the groin or through the wrist, through an artery, and reach the heart through a catheter. And under x-ray, we can then fix those problems with stents or balloon angioplasty The valve, the aortic valve, can similarly be reached from the groin with a minimally invasive needle stick, not even with a knife or a a blade to get in. And so there's no real surgical approach to uh, to to the heart that way. We're not cutting anybody open. And we basically go in through a catheter and deliver a valve under x ray and then deploy that valve in position. Uh, pushing the old valve to the side and basically leaving a, a new valve that is working and functioning uh, well and then get out. And that procedure can take really about 30 minutes. That is truly fascinating. So it takes 30 minutes. You don't really have to make a major incision. And I've heard that the recovery time is much faster, like patients can go home the next day. Is that true? That is true. So in uh, a lot of patients, we don't actually necessarily need to put them under full anesthesia. We can do what's called conscious sedation. We do uh, put them under a mask. Uh, they're you know, basically kept very, very comfortable and we uh, go and do the procedure and then wake them up immediately after the procedure. And uh, they're awake maybe, you know, 15 minutes after, 10 minutes after. And, uh, you know, this, this procedure, the most amazing part about this procedure is the immediate impact, the immediate benefit that the patient feels after the valve is placed. We're putting a new valve in, reducing a severe blockage, and... Um, the patient feels it immediately. They're not as short of breath. They're not having as much chest pain. Short. Uh, they're not having symptoms, and they feel like they can do. You know, they they can do anything at that point. So it certainly seems like if the option is there, that most people would want to do this new um, TAVR method versus the old traditional one. So I'm curious as to what type of patient is typically a good candidate for this. So in 2012. TAVR, the catheter-based valve replacement option, became commercially available for the first time. And the caveat there was that it was only available for very high-risk patients, high-risk meaning that they, were, they had an 8% chance of death uh, having surgical replacement for this valve. And so that started uh, at very few centers and sites uh, in the, throughout the United States and Basically, patients be limited to that. So if you had severe aortic stenosis, you would go through a valve team or a valve committee comprised of 
surgeons, cardiothoracic surgeons, interventional cardiologists, and an entire team of people that would look at your case and go, you're a high-risk surgical patient. You don't meet the criteria for TAVR or surgery, rather, and you might be a candidate for TAVR. And then you go through a workup for whether or not you can get it. If you fast forward to 2016, the FDA then approved intermediate risk. Intermediate risk patients are patients that have a 4 to 8% chance of dying during an open heart surgery to replace the valve. The intermediate and high risk patients comprise about 20% of the total population of patients that have aortic stenosis. So it's really just the tip of the iceberg. And what's exciting about TAVR, which, which really is a fast-moving train if you consider the timeline, is that the low-risk indication just got approved this August in 2019. And low-risk patients are patients that have an expected mortality of 4%. They're, the risk of dying during surgery, open-heart surgery, is less than 4%. So to put that in perspective, the people that would benefit from TAVR, if you, if you look at the, the three categories, the high-risk, intermediate risk, and low-risk, if we put it in examples, a high-risk or intermediate-risk patient would be somebody who would be over 80 years old, who would have ha already had open-heart surgery maybe 5, 10 years ago, and so they've already had their chest cut open once. Maybe they have other medical problems, like they have severe COPD or lung problems from years of smoking, or maybe they have uh, kidney problems and they're on dialysis. So if they have all these complications, uh, other medical problems, coupled with a, an older age, then that puts them in an intermediate risk to high risk category, and those patients would benefit from TAVR, again, um, going through a process where they have to meet with two surgeons, an interventional cardiologist, and kind of determine what their risk category is, and then go from there. The low risk patient is somebody who would be, for example, maybe 70 years old, has no other medical problems, and does not, you know, they don't have diabetes necessarily, they don't have hypertension or other problems, but maybe they have isolated aortic stenosis and they're now feeling those symptoms. Those patients in the past did not have any option for TAVR. They were only allowed to get uh, open heart surgery and, and that was sort of the end of it. With the new FDA approval and, and uh, guideline changes, Recently, now those patients are all candidates for TAVR. Yeah, it's truly amazing to hear how fast things have moved in the course of really just seven years, which kind of is unheard of with the FDA. You know, it really speaks to the effectiveness um, of TAVR as a treatment. And now, as you mentioned, it's just so much more accessible uh, to people who really didn't have that option before, even the low-risk patients. Still, it feels like assessment is a really important thing. And I understand that at the Valve Disorder Center in Fort Worth, that you have a multidisciplinary approach to assessing uh, the appropriate treatment options. So I'm curious as to the team members who take part in this assessment and how the whole process works. There are what we call implanters of the valve, and those are the typically the interventional cardiologists who do catheter-based procedures, and typically there are four or five of those physicians that do the procedure. Then there are cardiothoracic surgeons that do the open-heart aortic valve replacement, and there are typically three or four of those physicians as well. And so they all meet on a weekly uh, basis, and we discuss the patients that have severe aortic stenosis, and we discuss their category they're in. Are they in high risk, intermediate risk, low risk? 
What does their anatomy look like? You know, there's a whole host of things that a patient can expect to, to have done if they decide that they're going to get treatment for their aortic stenosis and they get referred to, the, to a valve program like this. One of the things they do first is they meet with the surgeon, they meet with the interventional cardiologist, they get physical exams from these physicians. Then they get a whole host of imaging tests. They usually get a CT scan to measure their aortic valve, their aorta, and to measure their access sites, meaning you know their groin, uh, the iliac arteries, the arteries that we enter from the groin to go up and make sure that they don't have blockages in those arteries and that they don't have issues to deliver the catheter uh, to the heart. And then they have lung testing and, and other types of tests to make sure that we can get you know, uh, an appropriate measurement for them uh, in terms of a specific valve size for, for that patient and a specific valve type. Once that happens, then, uh, th- then the patient is uh, determined to, in a multidisciplinary approach, the team sort of tries to decide what is going to be the best interest of that patient, long-term, short-term, and uh, what are the patient preferences. Uh, those are also very important. Yes, it certainly is. And it's amazing that you have that multidisciplinary team to evaluate things on a case-by-case basis. And just in wrapping up here, what should patients and their physicians or cardiologists look for in a program that offers TAVR? And what makes a good quality program? A good quality program is going to have pretty transparent uh, process. They're going to have their mortality data that is uh, you know, publicly available, meaning how many patients die per percentage of patients that die in, the, in that program. Um, it's going to have a number of um, outcomes data that they can present. Um, you're going to want to have a program that does a high volume of these procedures so that the experience level is going to be very good. You're going to want a program that has maybe a, a different, in, in my, and this is my opinion, a program that might have multiple operators rather than a program that only has one operator or two operators because then you have a more diverse committee that is meeting and, and um, pushing back and forth ideas of pros and cons as to proceeding with a TAVR procedure. Okay, that's helpful. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience before we close today? I would just say that out of all the cardiac procedures I do, TAVR is probably my most favorite procedure because I think it's the most rewarding. Uh, it has the most immediate impact for patients and the change in their quality of life is, is in immediate. It's, a, it's an immediate gratification for the physician and the team that performs that procedure, and it's immediately uh, noticeable to the patient. All right, Dr. Ali, I truly appreciate your time today. That's Dr. Farhan Ali, Medical Director of Interventional Cardiology at Baylor Scott and White Heart and Vascular Hospital in Fort Worth. Thanks for checking out this episode of HeartSpeak. To find a specialist on the medical staff at Baylor Scott and White Heart and Vascular Hospital in Fort Worth or Dallas, please call 844-279-3627 or visit BaylorHeartHospital.com. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out the entire podcast library for topics of interest to you. Thanks, and we'll talk next time. Baylor Scott and White Heart and Vascular Hospital, Fort Worth and Dallas, joint ownership with physicians.